Hey guys, welcome to episode 6 of I Know Nothing About MMA. I'm your host DC. And today we're going to be looking at the Anthony Smith versus Alexander Rakic card that just took place. Quite a fun card with Alexander Rakic picking up the victory over Smith in quite a comprehensive performance. And also we saw, rather, the further demise of Robbie Lawler in another apathetic performance, this time against Neil Magny. Another thing to note on this card is that two fighters missed weight. Austin Springers came into his 145-pound featherweight fight against Alex Cesaris at 151 pounds, but we'll explain why that's not so bad, actually. And Hannah Cyphers came into a strawweight fight against Mallory Martin at 117 pounds over the 116-pound limit. And also, we're going to be talking about some boxing again, because in Australia, there was a really good matchup last week. There was Jeff Horn versus Tim Sue. And, you know, we're going to be looking at some other fights that took place, some, you know, some other boxing news I saw this weekend. And yeah, it's all happening. And a bit of housekeeping before we start. If you're on Apple Podcasts, if you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, make sure to give us a five-star review, because apparently that helps. Apparently that helps you get noticed and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that would be nice if you want to do that. Only give it five stars if you think I deserve five stars. And if you have any questions um, or inquiries or, you know, something you want me to talk about, email me at iknownothingaboutmma at gmail.com. Or um, I'll leave my Twitter in the description. I can't be bothered saying my handle. It's such an annoying handle. And, um, yeah, if you want to follow me or DM me um, an inquiry like you would an email. So, yes, I'll leave those in the description as I do every episode. And, yes, welcome to the show. Let's get right on into it. Alright, the main event. We had Anthony Leinhardt Smith coming off that horrendous loss to Glover Teixeira. He fought Alexander Rakic. Uh, This was an interesting main event. Was it the most exciting main event of all time? No. But this was a decisive victory for Alexander Rakic. He won 29, sorry, 30-27 on two cards and 30-26 on one card, meaning a judge gave a 10-8 round. I certainly didn't give any rounds 10-8, but I think maybe he gave the third round a 10-8. That's really the only round that could be a 10-8 round. Um... Yeah, this was a this was a really good performance by Alexander Rakic. Certainly wasn't a very spectacular performance in the sense that he didn't get the knockout, he didn't finish Anthony Smith. But listen, Anthony Smith is a very hard guy to finish. Like you literally have to knock the guy's teeth out for him to finish. He's a he's a bit of a warrior, as we say. He's a bit of a warrior. I don't I don't even like Anthony Smith. I think he's you know. I just have a weird, irrational hate for the guy. Just, you know, same with, like, Ray Longo and stuff like that. Just whatever, right? But to be fair, you really have to, you know, knock the guy's teeth out to get a win against him because he's a really tough guy. And Alexander Rakic in this fight dominated him. And yes, he was dominant in the performance. He was taking him down... Um, oh, destroying him with the leg kicks as well. Like, it was leg kick city in there. He was, you know, he... That was how the first grappling exchange in the fight was initiated, was through a brutal leg kick by Rakic that sent Anthony Smith tumbling. 
But that's what really surprised me about this fight too, is how comfortable Rakic was on the ground with Anthony Smith. And it was a comprehensive victory. Was it spectacular? Not really, but it was comprehensive. It was decisive. It was dominant as well. He, Anthony Smith had no answers for him, and he fought a great fight. Rakic, that is. He fought a really great fight. And another thing I liked about Rakic in this performance was that at the 10-second clapper, he started celebrating at the end of the third round. He started celebrating before the fight had even finished. What a guy. I love that stuff. You see it in boxing, but you don't really see it in MMA. It's awesome. I need to see more of that. So, yeah, big thumbs up for um, Rakic for doing that. And I think the big narrative that's coming out of this fight um, you know, Rakic was saying after the fight, well, I deserve a title fight, and I don't think he will get a title fight after this performance. I think he has to wait for the winner of the uh, Glover Teixeira and Thiago Santos fight. Whoever wins that, I think, will be fighting Rakic next, and that will decide who the number one contender is after this Blachowicz and Dominic Reyes fight. That will happen in a few weeks' time. So I don't think he will be getting a number one contender spot, but he's proven himself now that he's one of the top guys in this division with a win over Anthony Smith. Not that I really love Anthony Smith, but yes, he was a top guy in this division. And now he's one step closer to that title. I don't think he will get that title fight. I think he has to go through the winner of Glover Teixeira and Thiago Santos. But he's in a good position, and this fight puts him in a good position. And, you know, saying, I want a title fight is, you know, it's not going to hurt him, is it, if he says that? You know, he, it puts him in the minds of people who are making these decisions, like Sean Shelby, who are making these decisions about who should fight for a title, being the matchmaker. So it doesn't, it will not hurt him, obviously. It's not a bad thing to do. But was it spectacular enough to warrant a title fight? Uh, no. Even, and even if, I think, even if he knocked him spark out, you know, he did the same thing he did to Jimmy Manoa, even if he did that to Anthony Smith, I don't think he would be in line for a title shot. I think he would still have to go through the winner of Teixeira versus Tiago Santos because those two guys are on a tear right now. And Tiago Santos, yes, he did um, injure his leg, in that John Jones fight, but he fought really well in that fight. So just on the strength of his performance in that Jones fight, even though it was a loss, he still deserves to be in the picture for a title fight, a future title fight. And that's, you know, what he's getting with a win over Teixeira. And Teixeira, with his dominant performance over Anthony Smith, he's in the mix as well for this. So... You know, even with a crazy knockout victory, which is really hard against Anthony Smith. You, let's not let's not talk about it like, oh, he could have done that. I don't, it's not really like that. Anthony Smith is a really hard guy to finish, so let's not um, let's not necessarily say, oh, he should have finished him. He should have, you know, because it doesn't happen like that. It does not happen like that. Guys don't want to be finished, <laughs> you know. So. Yes, this was a very um, decisive win for Rakic. This can only boost his profile more. But 
the interesting thing about this fight, what's the big narrative coming out of this fight, is where does Anthony Smith go from here? Because this is the first time he's lost back-to-back in the UFC. He's lost back-to-back now quite emphatically, quite um, decisively. Obviously, the Glover Teixeira fight was a little more decisive. He got his teeth knocked out. But he really needs to go back and go back to the drawing board and think... You know, does he need to change camps? Probably not. I mean, he has a good relationship with Mark Montoya, but he needs to work on his game. And listen, maybe he can't work on his game. He's an old guy. He's, this was nearly his 50th fight in the UFC, in MMA, sorry. So he's an old dog, and sometimes you can't teach an old dog new tricks. So has he plateaued? Potentially. This probably was the best Anthony Smith, you know, but he needs to definitely take a break. Like, he's been, you know, that Glover Teixeira fight, he should have at least taken, like, a year off because he he got smashed in that fight, like, smashed badly. And even if physically he felt okay coming into this fight, it's the psychological side of getting beaten so badly. And, you know, against John Jones, he swallowed in that fight. He really did. He crumbled up into a ball and submitted without even submitting. So, listen, once you do that once it's easy to do it again and again and again and again because it's in him it's it's in him now it's in him to swallow when the going gets tough so he needs to take an extensive break he needs to maybe sharpen some things up maybe just not even go to the gym maybe just take a real break that's what i would like to see from anthony smith just a break he's got that commentary gig on fox ball uh espn rather and he seems like he does well in it. People like him. So maybe you know, maybe retirement is on the cards because after two losses like that, decisive losses, when it seems like you've plateaued in your career, maybe it is the best option to retire. But hey, that's just me, right? Maybe you shouldn't retire. I don't know. Maybe I call for fighters to retire too much. I just don't like seeing fighters get smashed, you know? But anyway, right? That's just my thoughts on that fight. Now let's get on to the Robbie Lawler versus Neil Magny fight. All right, let's talk about Robbie Lawler versus Neil Magny. Robbie Lawler was a late-notice replacement for Neil Magny. Neil Magny was meant to fight Jeff Neal on this card. And... Robbie Lawler was coming into this fight on a three-fight losing streak. He's now lost four in a row. Neil Magny got a unanimous decision. He dominated him, really, in this fight. This was a dominant performance by Neil Magny. Probably one of the best performances Neil Magny's had in the octagon. But Robbie Lawler, he needs to really... As I said in the last segment about Anthony Smith, he needs to really think about... What is the point of my career? Are we just making money over here now? Are we... Like, what are we doing now? Because he's lost four in a row. And listen, he hasn't lost the four scrubs. Has not lost the four scrubs. Colby Covington. Rafael Dos Anjos. Ben Askren. And listen, Ben Askren, you might say, well, that guy is a scrub. But when he came into the UFC, he came in with a lot of hype, a lot of... Um, 
you know, he was an undefeated fighter as well. He was dominant in one. He was dominant in Bellator. They traded him for Demetrius Johnson, one of the greatest fighters in UFC history. You know, a bit debatable, but whatever. That's what a lot of people would tell you. So there was a lot of hype going into the Ben Askren, uh, Robbie Lawler fight. It was probably one of the more hyped up fights on that card. But anyway, back to Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler really needs to think about why are we doing this now? Because in his fight against Colby Covington, it was an apathetic performance. You know, Colby Covington, yes, he is a top dog though. Clearly the best fighter at 170 apart from Kamaru Usman, in my opinion. So there's no shame in losing to a guy like Colby Covington. But the way he lost, he kind of coasted to defeat. I think Colby Covington landed the most strikes in a UFC fight or something like that. Or maybe something like that, though. Or maybe he threw the most strikes. But it was one of those things. And he coasted to defeat. And it was no different in this fight against Neil Magny. Neil Magny dominated for three rounds. He won every grappling exchange. And the weird thing about it was is that Robbie Lawler actually went and initiated the first grappling exchange of the match until Neil Magny dominated him in the position. Like, emphatically dominated him. So this is his fourth loss in a row now. And we need to think, well, are we going to retire? You know, maybe you don't retire, but maybe let's move to Bellator. Let's do things that will help your career. And I'm sure you'll get money at Bellator as well. I know Bellator can't take every single person. But Robbie Lawler is a name they'll like. And listen, Robbie Lawler doesn't need to be fighting Neil Magny's of the world anymore. Yes, it's great for Neil Magny. Neil Magny had a great performance, but it's not that great for Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler doesn't need to fight these fights anymore. He's been there, done that. And Robbie Lawler, yes, he might be a young guy. He might be like still relatively young. But he's a really old fighter. Like a really, really old fighter. He's been fighting at least since 2004. You know, maybe even earlier. But 2004 is maybe a good, you know, circa 2004, right? Something like that. So he's a really old fighter. And he's been in some wars as well. The Rory McDonald fight, the Johnny Hendricks fight. Just to name a few. The Nick Diaz fight. He's been in some wars and he's been hit on the chin many a time. Yes, he's a tough guy. Very hard to finish. But it's happened and he's been stopped. So he needs to think about, do I want to keep fighting? Do I want to keep fighting the best fighters in the world? Probably not. Probably not. It's probably over. That, that part of your career is probably over. And I don't want to see Robbie Lawler lose all the time. I really don't. I don't think uh, it's very fun and nice to watch Robbie Lawler lose all the time. You know, just when you look, go back and you watch his fight against Rory McDonald, which really is one of the best fights, the rematch, sorry, one of the best fights in UFC history. Really, it was. And a lot of people got to watch that fight since it was on the undercard of a Conor McGregor fight. Fight card, sorry. But Neil Magny in this fight, let's just talk about Neil Magny for a second. Let's, uh... Stop. Let's not rain on Neil Magny's parade over here. Neil Magny fought excellently. This was, again, like I said, this was probably the best performance in Neil Magny's career, albeit against a very old fighter. 
a fighter that's on a three-fight losing streak. Neil Magny's coming into this fight on a two-fight winning streak. So, yeah, he was really dominant in the grappling changes in this fight. He didn't really want to go to the feet that often with Robbie Lawler. Um, and Robbie Lawler's cornermen were, like, really um, trying to gear him up for that third round. They were like, this ain't sparring, man. This is a fight. You better fight. Come on, fight. But Robbie Lawler just didn't have anything in the tank left. And that was because Neil Magny was breaking his will throughout that fight. And I think the first um, takedown attempt when Robbie Lawler initiated the grappling, tried to get a takedown, and was stuffed, and stuffed really badly. Like, Neil Magny was pressing that head down and pushing, pushing, pushing. And, yeah, he he dominated him. Let's, let's call spade a spade. Like, Neil Magny was dominant in that fight. And... That's really all I got to say about this fight is the, the narrative coming out of this fight isn't really where does Neil Magny go from here because Neil Magny will be fighting Jeff Neal next, I presume, the f- person he was originally meant to fight. That, that, that fight will still happen, I'm pretty sure. But the real story about this fight is where does Robbie Lawler go from here? Do we want to see Robbie Lawler retire? Because he's a very old young man. He's a very old young man, and he's been fighting a lot of fights. Like he's been, he's been in a lot of wars. So I don't know if it's really great to see him fight in the premier MMA organization, UFC. I think maybe he should go to Bellator or something like that. At least you know, for the last few years of your career, you know, let's make some money. Let's have some easy fights. Let's not have any ranked opponents. You know, let's take it easy. And I think he does need to take it easy. But, you know, he's a fighter and I'm not. So he could probably tell me, you're crazy. I'm not going to do that. Which is fine, you know. It's fine too. But at the end of the day, if he goes out on like a five or six or seven fight losing streak, he'll only have himself to blame. And stuff like that really kills your legacy as well. Oh, yeah, he was a champion. It's like the BJ Penn thing. Oh, yeah, he was a champion. He's great. He's, you know, he's the prodigy. But at the end of the day, he has like, um, he's like fucked in the head now. So it's something to think about. You know, something to think about A, retire, or B, move to Bellator, and let's not be fighting some of the best fighters in the world now. So, yeah, so that's my thoughts on that fight. Let's now move on to the next fight. All right, the next fight on this card was Ji Yong Kim, the Korean lady, versus Alex Grasso, the Mexican lady. So this was a this was a good fight. This was a really good fight. And these girls hit hard. These women, they hit hard. I was cringing when they were hitting each other on the chin, weren't you? When you just cringing, when you go, ugh, because the sound of that leather hitting the chin was disgusting. And I I think Kim had her nose broken in this fight as well. She was having some troubles with her nose. And, yeah, this was a comprehensive victory for Grasso. Her boxing looked really good in this fight. She's just coming off that loss to Carla Sparza in this fight. Um, in her last fight, sorry, on that uh, Rodriguez versus Stevens undercard. The first one where Rodriguez poked Stevens in the eye and was really upset about what happened. But what I think pulled it out for Alex Grasso in this fight was her experience in big fights facing people like Carla Esparza, fighting at the top of the food chain in strawweight. This was her first fight at flyweight. This was a good fight for her to start off with. 
um, Kim isn't exactly the top um, top dog at flyweight. She's, I think she was uh, f- ranked number 14. So, yes, you know, and rankings you know, are, are a load of shit. I say this all the time. They're a load of shit. But this wasn't obviously the biggest step up in her career. And she looked really rejuvenated at... Um, at 125 she looked really good her boxing was really on point she was really doing well in that regard um yeah and and these girls can bang man seriously did you not like hear like the thuds when they hit each other like it was kind of disgusting like it was disgusting to listen to i was cringing after every single punch um grasso gets the victory well done to grasso she fought really well you know not a lot of storylines coming out of this fight except Alex Rasso now is a flyaway she has stamped herself in the top 15 rankings she needs a few more wins obviously but you listen the thing about the flyaway women's flyweight division is it's not a very stacked division you get a few wins under your belt and you're probably going to be um, in line for a title shot so this might be the best move for Alex Grasso. And now Alex Grasso has been in there with people like Tatiana Suarez, who very highly regarded, very highly rated um, fighter in the UFC. So yeah, she's been in there with a lot of quality. And there's a lot of quality at strawweight, not so much at flyweight. So this was a good uh, win. For Alex Grasso, not much more I can say about that. I heard in commentary something like um, Kim broke the orbital bone of um, the Korean zombie when they were sparring or something like that. So yeah, she packs a punch. And she's not the quickest fighter, but she's a very powerful striker. And Alex Grasso was getting hit on the chin and she was taking it. And not only was she taking it, but she was giving it back to Kim and hurting her even more breaking her nose it looked like I don't know if she did break the nose but it looked like she definitely did I don't know though. I couldn't I haven't got a confirmation on that but yeah this was a good win for Alex Grasso um yeah let's talk about the next fight alright the next fight on this card was the Ricardo Lamas versus Bill Algio fight now originally Ricardo Lamas was meant to fight Ryan Hall a lot of people were really excited for that fight to get to see Ryan Hall return but I think the hardcore fans were very happy with this fight. Bill Algio, sorry, was a newcomer coming into the UFC. This was his debut under the big lights of a new organization, a big organization. And he performed really well. He really did. It was a really close fight, a really good fight, probably fight of the night. And these guys had a war. Ricardo Lamas, he had only won once in his last uh, four fights. You know, three losses, one win. So, you know, he, he's had a patchy run as of late. Um, yeah, losing to not even the best guys as well. I think his only win was against Darren Elkins, who, you know, the damage is a good fighter, but you know, he's, a, he's not an elite fighter, right? Let's, uh, let's dispel that myth if there ever was one. But this was a good fight. This was a very good fight. Bill Algio brought the fight to Ricardo Lamas. And he showed in this fight that, yes, he is meant to be here. 
Yes, Algier was bringing it in his debut. He really was. He was, um, yeah, well, for the first two rounds, really. Maybe not for the third round. And the third round, that was a 10-8 round to Lamas, and he really pulled it out. And But the first two rounds were really close. Like, really, really close rounds. The first round was razor close. I gave it to Lamas. And the second round was a more decisive Bill Algier round. And... Lamas really had to bring it out. He really had to pull it out in those last round. And he said after the fight something about his trainer saying he needs to get the win back for his family, home, for his son or something like that. And he delivered. And after the fight, he actually spoke about um, retiring. This could have been the last time we saw Lamas in the ring. And listen, if he wants to retire, that's fine by me. I mean, he's had a good career. Um, he's fought for the title. Not a lot of fighters get to fight for a title, especially in the UFC. So already he's had a much better career than most people in the business. So yeah, Lamas, if he decides to retire, that's great. You know, fine by me. If he doesn't decide to retire, fine by me as well. It doesn't matter. But what was really... um, The narrative in this fight though, Sorry, I was dropping my notepad. The narrative in this fight was more so that Bill Algio belongs in the UFC. Because Lamas, yes, he's on a um, he's on a patchy run of form in his last four fights. But, well, now it's three losses, two wins in his last five fights. So, you know, it's, it's he's crawling it back. You know what I mean? He's clawing it back, sorry. But Bill Algio definitely deserves to be here. He fought really well. Like, Lamas is no scrub. He's a ranked guy. He's been ranked for a long time. And he was bringing it to him. Yes, he gassed out in the third. That's how I saw it. He'd probably given all he could in the first two rounds. But the momentum shifted. And when the momentum shifted, it really shifted. But Bill Algio shouldn't be uh, discouraged by this performance. Because... Listen, as I just said, Lamas is a top guy. And if you can hang in there with Lamas in your first performance in the UFC, then you definitely deserve to be here. And I think they'll be calling him back for another fight. And what I also loved in this fight was Bill Algio's um, taunting, his showmanship. He did like a Billy Joe Saunders homage in the fight. He... um, did the oh, where'd he go? You know, when he when you know you know, you know if Billy Joe does that. Maybe you don't, but he he has a look like to the far distance. Where where'd that punch go? But it was really cool. It was good to see. So maybe he's a Billy Joe Saunders fan. That would be great. But Bill Algio does not win. He fights well. He loses his performance. He loses his fight, sorry. But Bill Algio, he loses his fight, unfortunately. Lamas potentially retiring and yeah there's the big stories coming out of this fight this fight was a good fight a really good fight to open the main card and this was only a four fight main card so it's a very digestible main card if you want to check it out if you missed it or something like that so um yeah that's the main portion that's the main card portion of the show over let's get on to some of the prelims some of the prelim fights only the good ones and trust me there were a lot of good ones on this card Alright, let's talk about the prelims. And before I actually get on to the prelims section of the show, I did say 
that this was Bill Algio's first fight under the bright lights in the UFC. He had fought Brendan Lochnan on the, I think that's how you say his name, on the Dana White Contender Series, on some episode of that. Um, obviously, I think that's a bit different. I don't think that's really fighting in the UFC. That's fighting for your chance to get inside the UFC. And now that Brandon Lochnan, he's at PFL now, by the way. They didn't give him a contract, stupidly. Whatever. He doesn't need that shit. Maybe, hopefully he wins the PFL million dollar thing and then he gets a million dollars. That would be awesome. That'd be a real fuck you to Dana White. But now that win for Brandon looks so good over Bill Algio. Because Bill Algio... Yeah, again, he, he, you know, he came in as a short notice replacement against um, Lamas, and he performed so excellently. So this looks like a really good win for Brandon over here, the English lad, who he fought on the Dana White Contender Series. So I just want to say that, you know, give myself a little bit of a disclaimer that yes, he had fought in the UFC, kind of, but not on a proper UFC card. So he's a newcomer. Yes, let's get that out of the way. Now let's talk about the prelims. All right, let's talk about the prelims. And, you know, I'll say it again. I'll say it again. If you are not watching the prelims of these UFC cards, you're missing out. Because even though the main card, yes, was really good. It was a really good main card. The prelims are sometimes even better. And there are a lot of fun fights on this prelim card. We won't go through every card like uh, every fight, sorry, like the uh, main card. But let's just firstly talk about that um, Marley Martin versus Hannah Cyphers fight. Um, this was a really interesting fight because in the first round, it looked like Marley Martin was done. It looked like she was done. It looked like there was no more that she could give. She's just give up, you know. She she was going dominated in that fight. She got dropped in the fight. And listen, she did well to keep the fight on. And she could have been stopped at any moment. And again, good refereeing by Chris uh, Tognoni or something like that. I know I butchered that word. But he was the referee who last week let a fight go on. Or the week before, maybe. Let a fight go on and... Um, dubiously some people thought at the time but the fighter that he spared actually went on to win the fight so again referee Chris comes back with another great performance keeping this fight going when maybe it could have been stopped because you know Cyphus was hitting Martins on the chin and she was getting wobbled and she was hurt when she got back to the corner she said um, did I get dropped and it's like, yeah, you got dropped. You got dropped pretty fucking bad. So, yeah, good refereeing performance. And I think why Hannah Cyphers didn't finish Mallory Martin in this fight was that she wasn't picking her shots. She wasn't... Um, she was applying pressure, but it was very ineffective pressure. She was just hitting and hoping. And you've got to be a lot more clinical about your strikes when... You, when you smell blood. And I know that's harder said than done. You know, because when you smell blood, you just want to get them out of there. But you've got to pick your shots sometimes and, you know, fight intelligently. And she didn't exactly do that. And Mallory Martin, to her credit, was doing things like pulling guard, 
taking the fight from standing position to the grappling position. She pulled guard and was holding on for dear life, which is a very intelligent thing to do. And Hannah Seif was, was just like slamming her, like full on slamming her, like boosh. And I was like, oh my God, so Hannah Seif is a very strong lady. So, yeah, so they get into the corner. Mally Martin asks, um, you know, what did, uh, did I get dropped? And it's like, yeah, you got dropped. Trust me. Like, trust me on this. But she comes out in the second round. She brings the fight to her world, the wrestling. And she absolutely dominates Cyphers in the second round. So the first round was a 10-8 to Cyphers. And really what we're thinking now is you have to finish this fight, you know, because if you win 10-9, 10-9 on the next two rounds, uh, you're going to just draw the fight. So you need to win the fight, basically. And win the fight, she did. Absolutely she did. She, yeah, brought it to her world, brought it to the wrestling, was restricting the arm of Hannah Cyphers by putting a knee on it. And you don't want fighters do that. And... She was hitting her, hitting her hard. And in the end, she got the rear naked choke victory. And yeah, probably the performance of the night on this whole card. And Mallory Martin is my star of the week for this week for pulling it out as she did. She pulled it out incredibly. Like it was, she was finished in the first round. She looked like she was going to get smashed coming into the second round, but she followed her corner's advice. She got to where she's comfortable in the fight with her wrestling, dominated that part of the game and ended up winning the fight. Won via a rear naked choke. Via a rear naked choke, I should say. And that was a very good performance. And Mallory Martin is my star of the week. So guys, if you're not watching the prelims, you need to go back and watch that Mallory Martin's versus Hannah Cyphers fight because it was a fantastic fight. Alright, on to another fight on this prelim card that we'll talk about. Another interesting fight on this prelims card was Sean Brady versus Christian Aguilera, or Christina Aguilera. No, it's Christian Aguilera. And Sean Brady won with one of the more interesting guillotine chokes you're going to see in the UFC. It was kind of a scary one, actually. I've never seen a fighter really struggle the way Christian Aguilera did. And he tried to... He did everything maybe not meant to do in a... In a uh, trying to be trying to get out of a choke. You're meant to just stay calm, and, you know. But no, he was freaking out. And I would be too. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that uh, Christian Aguilera was a bitch for freaking out the way he did. Because I would have been crying in there so sean brady is now 13 and 0 after that victory over christian aguilera and he looks like a prospect at welterweight yeah that was a really conclusive victory obviously and the way he applied that guillotine was very interesting as well and paul felder who trains with sean brady was saying that this guy's got a squeeze like i've never felt before and I don't think Paul Felder is trying to gas this guy up. I think he's pretty serious when he says that. And he was saying when he applied the guillotine that it's a wrap, it's over. And he knew it exactly. Because he went limp after n- not that long. Like, he went out after only maybe 20 seconds of being in the guillotine. And maybe not even that. Maybe maybe 
15 seconds. It was a really tight grip, it looked like. And so he goes to 13-0 after this victory. And how good are his tattoos as well? Like, he's got some of the best tattoos in the game, especially that back tattoo, the Japanese hunting mask. Such a sick tattoo, man. So, yeah, big ups to Sean Brady. This was his third win inside the Octagon, third win under the UFC banner, and he looks like he could be a prospect at 170 pounds. And I don't know how he even makes 170 pounds, because he is a huge welterweight. Like, he is a welterweight. He's a massive welterweight. So, yes. Let's get on to the next fight on this prelim card. All right. The next fight on the prelims, well, maybe not the next fight, but another fight on this prelims card was Alex Cazares versus Austin Springer. And Austin Springer was a late replacement for Alex Cazares. He took the fight on two days' notice. He wasn't even the first replacement for that Alex, for Alex Cazares. He was the second. I forget who was the first, but he was the second, and he failed to make weight. He was 151 pounds for a contracted 145 pound fight and if you take a fight on two days notice i don't know if you should be punished for not making your contractual weight i think the fight should be at a catch weight if you can't make the weight that's it's pretty unfair to austin pringer to give him two days to literally you can't cut weight in two days unless you are walking around at 145 pounds or you're maybe walking around at 150 pounds and a lot of these guys just aren't walking around at that weight so it's kind of hard to you know even even though missing weight is one of the worst things to do in the sport and in boxing and in any sport it's hard not to feel sorry for austin springer that he gets submitted in the first round by caceres and he also has to forfeit 30 percent of his purse to caceres as well so it's a little, um, yeah, I kind of feel sorry for Austin Springer, but he didn't look good in this fight. He probably wasn't that up for this fight after having to forfeit 30% of his purse on a two-day notice. I mean, that's probably not one of the best, uh, you know, you're probably not going to be super excited for the fight under those circumstances. But he lost easily, Austin Springer. Alex Viserys had a good fight. In this fight is Austin Springer um, a really top guy? Probably not. Probably not even a prospect. But listen, you can only beat who's in front of you. And Alex Cazares fighting at 145 pounds beat a guy who was 151 pounds and did it decisively, did it comprehensively. So thumbs up to Alex Cazares you can only beat who's in front of you and he did just that and he did it in a really good fashion in the first round so yeah that was another fight on this card and yeah let's talk about another prelim fight and another fight on this prelim card was Polyvana Viana fighting Emily Whitmere and Viana just finished this one pretty comfortably she got a armbar and did the job. She continues her 100% finish rate. And yeah, not much else to say about that. Viana gets the victory. And another fight that took place was the Kasanganai versus Maki Patolo fight. And Kasanganai won this 
via unanimous decision. He fought only 18 days after his appearance on Dana White's Contender Series. I didn't watch that, but he fought well. Patolo isn't a scrub, so this was a good feather in the cap for Kasangnai. And yeah, that's really it. That's really it for the UFC portion of this show. This was a fun card. I hope you guys check it out. The prelims were pretty good as well, so if you want to watch the prelims as well, I suggest you go do so. And now let's get into the big news in the Australian boxing world. Jeff Horn versus Tim Sue. Let's talk about that fight. Alright, let's talk about the boxing now. There was some boxing news this week, especially in Australia, where I'm from. We had the Jeff Horn versus Tim Sue fight. And this was maybe the most important Australian fight since Anthony Mundine versus Danny Green, which happened a good 13 years ago now, 13, 14 years ago, something like that. And I thought that Tim Sue in this fight was going to have a lot more problems. I thought Jeff Horn would show himself a little bit more, would show the experience, would show the class, but... But I got suckered into that thing that people get suckered into when you think, well, this guy's beaten no one. He hasn't had a step up in quality. So how is he going to fare against someone who has fought the best, who has fought a Terence Crawford, who has fought a Manny Pacquiao and got a decision over Manny Pacquiao? Yes, it was a bogus decision, but ultimately he still got a decision. I fell into that trap because Tim Sue fought Excellently, He beat Jeff Horn in every single facet of this boxing match. Every single facet. Even the parts where Jeff Horn looked good. Even the little parts of Jeff Horn's game that I thought would maybe put him across the line. The awkwardness, the good inside fighting, albeit very messy inside fighting. But I thought that's the kind of fight he needs to fight to put Tim Su off his game. I thought Tim Su was going to have a really hard night. But, evidently, he did not have a very hard night. He had a very easy night, actually. And even in the clinch, where I thought Jeff Horn would be a lot more dominant, a lot more powerful, he was actually controlling the clinch. He looked a lot stronger in the clinch. So this was a big win for... Tim Sue. This was a great win for Tim Sue, actually. This is probably going to propel him to um, a big status in Australia, in this country alone. And this puts him in line for a title shot against the WBO title holder, Patrick Tesheria. I don't know if he's next up, but he's definitely in line now as a challenger for that belt. And I've watched Patrick Tesheria's last fight against... Adamas, where he kind of went life or death to win that WBO, the vacant WBO title, I think. I think it was vacant. And he kind of went life and death in that fight. He had a bit of a scrappy fight. So, is it possible that Tim Su wins a world title in his career? Absolutely. Especially after that performance. I think he boxed beautifully. I think he boxed better than I've ever seen him. And I've seen him box uh, live before. I watched his last fight against Jack Brubaker in Sydney, and he was not that impressive to me in that fight. Yes, 
as I just said earlier, you can only beat what's in front of you. And he did exactly that. He beat what was in front of him. But it didn't seem like Jack Brubaker really had a plan, really had a plan of action to effectively fight Tim Sue. And he was totally out of his depth. And I should have gave Tim Sue a lot more credit after that fight because Jeff Horn looked even more out of his depth against Tim Sue. Tim Sue beat him everywhere. He was hitting him with some great shots. And this was the only time in Jeff Horn's career where Jeff Horn has quit on the stool. Jeff Horn, if you speak to people who really love Jeff Horn, are, are drawn to his heart, are drawn to his... You know, he's a, he's a real common man's fighter. He's a man's fighter. You know, he's, the, he's a blue-collar fighter, if you get what I mean. So him quitting on the stool like that was quite evident that, listen, he was out of his depth. He was hurting. And yeah, Tim Sue boxed his head off. It's nothing more I can really say about this. A lot of people in MMA were praising the trainer, Greg Rushton, for stopping the fight. And to me, when I looked back on the stoppage of the fight, it wasn't exactly Greg Rushton telling... Glenn Rushton, sorry. It wasn't really Glenn Rushton saying... Uh, Jeff Horn, you know, you've had enough. You ain't going to beat this guy. He wanted him, you know, give me one more minute. Give him, And his brother, I think, or someone else in his training uh, camp, another corner man, said he's had enough. It wasn't even Glenn Rushton who made the call. If it was up to Glenn Rushton, Jeff Horn would have fought another round. So I'm not going to sit here and give Glenn Rushton all the praise in the world for stopping the fight and knowing his fighter because evidently he did not do that and Glenn Rushton has had this problem in the past in the last uh, Zarafa fight that Jeff Horn fought in um, not the rematch sorry but the first fight between the two Jeff Horn was beaten badly was horrifically beaten and Glenn Rushton did not stop the fight and had ample opportunity to throw in the towel but he's just not that kind of trainer so, yes, I'm not going to sit here and give Glenn Rushton all the praise for this. It seemed like a decision that his cornerman t- took, rather, rather than the lead trainer. But Tim Su really impressed me. Like, really impressed me. Because, yeah, going into this fight, I thought, look, he might have some troubles. He might... This might be a tough night for him because he's never really fought a fighter like Jeff Horn. As awkward as Jeff Horn. But really, he just made Jeff Horn look not even average, just like a really bad pub fighter. And that's what he looked like. And the big narrative coming out of this fight, as well as Tim Su being a lot better than a lot of people thought he was, especially me, the other big narrative coming out of this fight is, should Jeff Horn retire? And I think, yes, he definitely should retire. Like, he's given a lot to the sport. He's been at a lot of wars and he's been in a lot of hard fights. And the way he fights, taking as much damage as he takes, even if he's 31, 30, he's an old young man, if you understand what I mean. Just as we were talking about Robbie Lawler earlier, he's been in wars that take years off your career. So, And he's had a lot of years taken off his career already. So, And the other thing is, it's like, There's not many more fights for Jeff Horn. There's not many more fights that can give him money or bring him to bring him closer to another title fight. He has to fight a light middleweight, super welterweight. And really, after you've just been beaten by Tim Sue like that, 
there isn't much um there isn't really much of a need to go watch that fight you know to go watch Jeff Horn fight the elite guys I suppose the only fight he could really fight that makes sense for a legacy fight and would give him the most money is a trilogy match against um Michael Zarafa but he went life and death with Michael Zarafa in the second fight, won a majority decision, and I don't know if he can pull it out again because it really looked like in that fight, in hindsight, and especially after watching this Tim Su fight, that he gave everything in that fight. He he put his soul on the line in that fight. He left nothing, you know, he left nothing in the gas tank. He was spent after that fight. So... I would like to see Jeff Horn retire. I would like to see him, you know, because he's given so much to this um, Australian boxing already. You know, he's given Australian fans some incredibly memorable moments, especially um, beating Manny Pacquiao. Yes, albeit it was a bogus decision. He's fought pound for pound the best fighter in the world, Terence Crawford. So really, what much else is there to do? You know, it would be very sad. It would be even sadder to go watch this guy fight at... A pub, you know, in 10 years or, you know, one of these fight clubs, you know, I don't want to see that. I want to see him go out on another stadium fight and that's it. There's nothing wrong with passing the torch to Tim Sue and calling it a day. And I really think he should. So, yes, that was my thoughts on the fight. And another thing I want to talk about, about this pay-per-view is I spoke earlier last episode or maybe an episode before that this should not be a pay-per-view and it absolutely shouldn't be a pay-per-view if this was on free-to-air television or fox sports or something a lot more eyes would be on this and the whole goal of this fight was really to set tim sue up as the new face in australian boxing and to do it with a pay-per-view that's not the smart way of doing that you need to have as much exposure on this fight as possible and a lot of people do not see this fight a lot of people miss this fight and Ironically, it was actually a lot easier to watch this fight in places like America, where they had it on ESPN+. Plus. You didn't have to uh, fork out $50 for the fight. You just had to log into your ESPN Plus subscription. So that was a, you know, quite a funny thing to come out of this uh, pay-per-view, and it definitely should not have been a pay-per-view, in my opinion. But the pay-per-view was really farcical as well. Like, the big uh, storyline leading up to the fight was who's going to come out first? What? That should be already, like, done and dusted. You know, that should already be a thing that should be, like, settled. And obviously, Tim Su should come out first. He did end up coming out first. But I just thought that was really ridiculous and farcical. I thought I was watching, like, a a WWE pay-per-view for a little bit it was kind of really silly and you know australian boxing is in an interesting place because for a lot of people australian boxing is a joke it is kind of a joke when we have some of the biggest fights in australian boxing last year was a rugby league player versus a former nf uh, former afl player sorry paul gallon versus barry hall that's not really good for the health of the sport. That's kind of a circus fight. And Australia love putting on these circus fights. And that was one thing I did actually will commend this paper before was the lack of circus fights on this card. There was a lot of good prospects on this card. 
uh, a fighter named Liam Wilson, who stopped his opponent in the second round with a beautiful body shot. Just picked those liver shots spectacularly. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on that fight. The pay-per-view, just a little bit. Also, this weekend, we saw the return of Daniel Dubois, who is scheduled to fight Joe Joyce. This was in England. This is a part of the BT Sports Queensberry Promotions um, umbrella. So Daniel Dubois is an incredibly hot prospect in the heavyweight division. A lot of people think he will end up being the new face of the heavyweight division once Anthony Joshua, once Tyson Fury get out of the way. Once they've retired, it'll be Daniel Dubois' division. And... A lot of people were saying this fight was a horrible matchup. This was a mismatch. This is what's wrong with boxing. Listen, if you had um, something between your ears, you would probably realize that this is just a marketing fight. This is a fight to get to the Joe Joyce fight, which will be the biggest step up in Daniel Dubois' young career by far. Joe Joyce is a spectacular fighter. He is, yes, he is slow. But he seems to land the punches and he seems to get the job done. So, yes, that's all this fight was, really. Daniel Dubois knocked his opponent down. I don't even know who he fought. I'm not even going to look up that. Because, again, this was a marketing fight. This was a fight to get people going, Oh, Daniel Dubois is back. Oh, well, you remember Daniel Dubois? It was just one of those, you know. And now the people know, Oh, he's fighting Joe Joyce. Again, that fight should not be a pay-per-view fight. That fight should be on BT Sports. Regular BT Sport. So yes, that fight happened. Joe Joyce won as well last weekend to make that fight official. And this will be a fantastic fight. If you are looking for new heavyweights to watch, if you are looking for an exciting heavyweight to watch, look no further than Daniel Dubois. He is a monster. He is a really tough guy and he hits like a fucking truck this guy so yeah watch that fight if you're into that kind of thing and also this weekend we saw the return of jose ramirez the mexican american um junior welterweight champion the wbo and wbc champion who put his belts on the line against victor postal and this was a very close fight albeit um i didn't watch the whole fight i only caught about the last five rounds of this fight. It was a very close fight, in my opinion, from what I saw. I only saw five five rounds out of the 12 rounds, so I can't tell you about the whole fight. But um, listen, the big narrative out of this fight, yes, it was a close fight. Um, some people thought Postel won. Some people thought Ramirez won. I can't really talk on that. I don't know who won. It's just my goats. They're yelling. I don't really know who won that fight, really, but it seemed to me that maybe Jose Ramirez was winning, but it was a close fight, and Postol is a really good fighter. He's been in there with people, again, like Terence Crawford, who is a monster, and that victory for Terence Crawford, where he whitewashed Postol, looks like an even better win now. looks like, you know, the win that shows you the type of fighter Terence Crawford is. And what's interesting about this uh, Jose Ramirez fight, I called him Jose earlier, it's Jose, about this Jose Ramirez fight is that he will be in line now to fight Josh Taylor, who also has a piece of the junior welterweight crown as well. And that will be a cracking fight. 
Josh Taylor coming off the win against Regis uh, Progray. I think that's how you say his name. Um, that was an amazing fight. That was probably one of the fights of last year. If you missed it, if you want to go watch a really good fight, and not just a really good fight, but a really good fight with like some of the best body work I've ever seen in my young life watching the sport. Like just incredibly tasty inside work. So yes, that will be happening soon. No one ever knows when because this is boxing. It's a it's it's a politician's game. So Josh Taylor versus Jose Ramirez to unify the junior welterweight belt. And if I had to give you a quick summary about that fight, I think it's going to be a closer fight than people think. I've seen people say that Josh Taylor is going to win this fight on the back of that performance against Postal. But Postal's a really tricky fighter, and he's a very slick boxer. Josh Taylor is more stationary. He's a, Again, he's the common man's fighter. But yes, he's an incredibly skilled fighter as well. So if I would probably lean towards Ramirez in that fight, given that I think he will be a lot more effective in that fight than he was in the post-dial fight from what I saw. Um, but yeah, but listen, that's really it. Let's not talk about boxing too much. This is the I Know Nothing About MMA show, but you know, this was a fight night card featuring Anthony Smith and... Um, Alexander Rakic, it wasn't, you know, a fight card that's going to blow your head off. But, um, but yeah, listen guys, that's the end of the episode. We've spoke about boxing, we spoke about MMA. Hopefully we spoke about MMA for a little more than we did about the boxing. But guys, boxing is just such a fun sport, trust me. It's an awesome sport. And you have to give me some credit because there was a lot of hype coming into this Jeff Horn versus Tim Su fight in Australia. It was like a pretty big deal. So, um, so yeah, thank you so much for listening. I hope you are having a good day, good night, good morning, whenever you're listening to this. And yes, bye-bye.